Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. I'm Anne and with co-host Mitch, I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. We'd like to pay our respects to elders past and present and to acknowledge that sovereignty over this land was never ceded. Each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from drug, alcohol, gambling, food and other addictions. Our guests share their recovery stories and highlight that shared experience saves lives. This week I'm joined by Mark. Mark is a member of an organisation called Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families. Welcome, Mark. Thanks, Anne. Thank you for inviting me on the program. Good to be here. Lovely to have you here. Um, ACA groups meet to share their experience of growing up in an environment where abuse, neglect and trauma affected them. Mark, would you uh, start off by just introducing yourself with a little bit about your childhood? Sure, thank, thanks Anne. It's always a bit of a challenge because it took me um, a long time to realise I needed to remember and to track back to what had happened in my childhood. But with my childhood, place was a really important part of it. So my earliest memories were... Um, um, I, I come from the West Coast, um, and so my earliest memories were sitting outside in the bush um, and the garden, wondering what the hell was going on inside the house. Um, and so my uh, my upbringing was characterised by um, enduring mental health conditions in, in my parents. Um, and so um, for my mother, um, you know, she was dealing with a lot of, um, of that, and it made my father increasingly more... Um, emotionally distant and so they're my earliest memories and that's about three um Perth was really like a big country town when I grew up and there was definitely a, a right and a wrong side of the tracks that was sort of drummed into us and um you know my upbringing was like an example of what actually goes on behind um middle class doors and the white picket fence um so um I have I have siblings but I guess this is really about um about my particular story so what that set up in me was really weird attachment patterning because of what was going on for my mother who um you know it was a very mixed experience it was wonderful but also severely depressed and sometimes um uh somewhat manic um and so, so that was basically my childhood um even though um school's difficult at first um it was quite a normalizing influence most people say it's you know you know disastrous because they didn't fit in um and my sisters would claim that there was a lot of racism but for me it was quite a normalizing experience um and i I managed to form um okay social networks um the I said place was important. The family kept moving houses, sort of bigger and bigger houses. And with, with each move, the marriage disintegrated even further. So by then we were living in this ginormous architect design mansion, but my parents were inhabiting separate wings. Um, they were com- very temperamentally unsuited. So my mother um, 
was very distraught by what was happening and um, came from a, a difficult background herself. But um, when I say distraught, she took it to operatic levels where it was really quite full on and um, my father withdrew more and more. So home was quite a psychiatric cabaret in terms of what was, um, of what was going on at home. Um, for me... Um, I was aware I was very much a misfit because, you know, we were taught about the wrong on the right side of the tracks and my maternal grandfather was a magistrate. But living in Perth, it became increasingly more and more wealthy as I grew up. So it used to be sort of sheep, mica, metals and eggs was was exports. But increasingly, as we know, it's become a mining mining capital. And I was always... The events in my childhood I remember were actually... um, Indigenous people who were very deprived. It might have actually been children on the bus, um, people that my um, grandmother would look down on. And and that gulf between um, the middle class and what was happening for people who deserve more was something I noticed as a child. And so in terms of me kicking the traces over, it was really working with marginalised groups that actually drew me. Um, and and so, you know, basically that's my background. As I said, school was actually in some ways was quite a oasis, and I had a scholarship to a um, a talented art school. So um, you know, that that was great. Um, so that was the childhood. Do you want me to go into no, what happened we've, next? We'll have, we'll have questions about that. Um, with with your um, what did you call it? Uh, Psycho uh, melodrama. It's a psychiatric cabaret. A psychiatric <laughs> that's a cabaret. Great time. Okay, that's that's great. I want to know how that impacted you as a little child. Yeah, yeah. So look, I was always sitting outside wondering why my, why my mother was so upset because it would have been really difficult for her the unaddressed mental health issues in a marriage that was disintegrating, um, and probably the family was the thing that she used to give her life purpose. But that was really falling apart. So that's how I learned to overfunction because I was three years old wondering what I could actually do and it set up terrible attachment patterning in myself um, and in terms of who I sought out as partners later in my life. It wasn't until I was an adult I realised the impact yeah, of, could, of that. Yeah, We might come to that later but um, and I think Mitch has got a question in a minute <laughs> but I've just got, I've just got one. Um, that attachment pattern, was that about you trying to save your mother or was that about you being frightened from... <laughs> By her, or I, I guess the scale of the condition meant that I was always scared I was going to lose her ah. um, because her behaviour was a talent for um, internal self destruction, um, and also um, that whenever I looked at her, there's something wrong. So I couldn't, um, mm. I, I couldn't work out how to negotiate that. And as look, children are amazing; they cope with all sorts of things. Um, but it was, you know. a Interesting thing, because it was only late that I realised it was off the Richter scale. I kind of thought, oh, look, I had enough to eat and it was a middle-class family, so nothing to see here. Um, but I think that that characterised um, some things that were going on in that city because it was like a big country town, but there's a lot of darkness mm-hmm. under the surface, which, mm-hmm. I'll, which I'll talk about. That's interesting. Yeah, because... Few things happened next because the seventies were were mm-hmm. happening. Perth was cult central, um, and oh. uh, and so the, lots of Scientology. Dharajneesh is almost made, made Perth the second Oregon. That's right. Um, mm. And so a lot of up middle class families because they were bored were drawn to that. Mm. So um, so that was around us as well as my parents' marriage disintegrated. There's a gravitation. And uh, Mark, what's that? 
You uh, you spoke to um, your first memory being confusion as to what was happening inside the house and that kind of disorientation. Do you feel like that bled over into your youth, into your adolescence and, you know, that feeling of not really knowing what's going on and having to make sense of that? Look, um, yes, look, I think that it was a double-edged sword. It makes you very emotionally intelligent. You're very good at being hypervigilant and trying to work out how to short-circuit something. Yeah. <laughs> an impending sort of blow-up. Um, so... So I think it was a double-edged sword, Mitch. It's a great question because, um, you know, like, like life, often it is a mixed experience and you don't quite, you know, it's not black and white. It's, you can't make sense of it one way or the other. But it's a fabulous question. I think that um, it definitely bled over because um, because of the era. I found that a lot of the other children at school were having um, some similar issues, not everyone, um, but, you know, it was definitely there. How did you find that out? Mm. Look, um, you know, d- divorce rates, there was also a lot of acting out behaviour amongst my friends. So I think that when I was doing, you know, my leaving certificate, I knew that three of my friends were pregnant and would probably have to have abortions and things like that. And there was those definite drug usage. And that was very covered because it was an upper-middle-class area, so the, no-one knew um, uh, what we were doing um, and, you know, as teenagers, you're really ferocious and you laugh about the things your parents are doing and how revolting it is, but <laughs> underneath the surface it actually is teaching you quite negative messages. Mm. So it's a great question, um, it, and it's something that I'm still, um, I guess, coming to terms with. Yeah, so yeah. A, a powerful question. You mentioned this might be a bit like a therapy session, and you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose that is a bit of a therapy-like question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, that was very interesting. So, so um, it sounds to me my my experience of this sort of thing was that I kept everything very quiet and I wouldn't have disclosed anything mm. about my parents at school. Or, uh, but for you, it sounds like it was more open. Look, look, it was it was to an extent, but we were all. Um, I think the children have really quite weird radars and they pick up. Yes, that, that there's tension and things are happening, and they become quite hyper vigilant. Um, whether you um, talk that out is another thing. So, you know, we, we might have made comments about, oh, you know, my father's having an affair, it's so disgusting or whatever. But um, you, you're actually not making sense of the emotional damage um, that that's doing to people and you're not talking about it at that, at that level. Um, but for me it was, you know, it's interesting, it's about place. Um, Perth actually had some terrible inequities. I think that that actually bleeds over. Yeah. to the rest of the community, actually. Mm. Um, so, um, yeah, look, it's very much a thing about what happens behind middle-class doors. Yes, yep. <laughs> yeah. I like what you were saying before in response to Mitch about the the, the double-edged sword of all this and the yeah. fact that good things can be coexisting with the, the bad. Yeah. Um, did you have adults in your life then that were, were more, uh, should we say, functional or healthy? Look, the... the the interesting thing for me, it was actually fleeting contact with some adults that gave me a sense um, that I needed to hang in there. And so that might have actually been a teacher who might have actually given you, might have actually understood, and that might have just been, you know, a few minutes one particular day. And that um, saw us through. I remember um, there was even a community GP who... Um, you know, attended my mother when she was on death's door. It's just some of the contact he um, gave was something that sustains you. So it's an interesting thing. Wow. They weren't um, sustained role models. 
But there was a, it's interesting the things you remember. There was actually enough. Enough. To, say, to, to say hang in there. Mm. Um, but, you know, I think that your question's about, you know, who did you have to talk to about it? There wasn't a lot of talking through it. And, um, you know, it was assumed that the, these sorts of things didn't happen. And yeah. you've said uh, hang in there a few times. Can you speak to, you know, at what point in time you felt like you had to hang in there and what led you to that? Yeah, look, um... I think it was for, I think it was very much um you know f- finishing education um you know p- probably not that well but I managed to keep going with that um and, and that was sort of you know university as well but never had a very strong sense of myself and, and what I thought I should actually do um but I guess I kept searching or I kept waiting for some of the um pieces the picture to fall into place if that makes sense Mitch mm-hmm, so um mm-hmm. And, you know, it took a long time for that to happen, actually. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I survived. I you know, managed to work most of the time, um, shifted around a lot. And, you know, in a really weird way, you're probably not asking the right questions, so you're not getting the direct answers. Um, but the hanging in there was really, you know, waiting for the time when you can actually start um, uh, looking at, you know, what was actually wrong um, and... To, yeah, to, to actively search for some answers. Yeah. Uh, okay, we'll go to a break now. Sure. And uh, we have got some music that um, Mark has provided for us, and it's Peter Gabriel. And it, the song, Mark, is Love Town. So here it is. Fantastic, thanks. Here it is in one second. Greeting me, it's just you and I. 
And my clothes don't fit me no more I want a thousand miles just to slip this scheme The night is falling, I'm blind awake I can feel myself fading away So receive me, brother, with you Faithless kiss, or will we leave each other alone like this on the streets of Philadelphia? Here at 3CR on the 15th of June, we're hosting our annual Radiothon fundraiser, and we need your help. You can make a difference by donating. Your support keeps 3CR broadcasting unique conversations, great music, and diverse voices. If you're a fan of Living Free, help us reach our show's target of $2,000. Call 3CR anytime and keep the Living Free show alive. Support Support Living Free. Stay Stay tuned to 3CR and stay radical. Left after breakfast, 38 years of information, insights, analysis and opinion. Just plain old common sense, really. 8.30am on Fridays. Welcome back to The Living Free Show. Uh, The song you just heard was not Peter Gabriel. The song you just heard was Bruce Springsteen, Bruce Springsteen singing his song "The Streets of Philadelphia." Uh, this is a Living Free Show on 3CR 855 kilohertz on your AM radio dial, and 3CR on digital radio. If you would like to listen to one of our many podcasts, then you can find us on your preferred podcast platform, or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. You can also contact us by a phone, email or Twitter. I'm talking today with Mark, who is a member of Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families, in which people affected by family dysfunction in childhood meet to share experience, strength and hope that they can recover from the trauma. So uh, that was a, another favourite song of yours, I think, um, Absolutely, Mark. I mean, so it worked out all right that I put did. the wrong song on, which is a very common thing that I do. I, I think it was synchronicity. It was fine. It, it was, worked very well. It was fine because it means something to you, that song, Absolutely. right? Would yeah. you like to tell us about that? Yeah, so look, um, 
the, the next phase of my life really, um, um, even though I, I didn't regard it as a huge part of um, myself, was, uh, was having to come out to my family, um, which didn't go down very well with a Catholic engineer father. <laughs> and, I met, and my mother kept saying, you're going to be very unhappy. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, all of that coincided with um, the uh, advent of the HIV epidemic. And um, so, you know, I sort of threw myself into helping people, but it meant that I um, lost um, several people very close to me. Um, so, so therefore the song from that movie is, mm-hmm. is very appropriate. Um, and so what that actually um, did did for me is my, my parents were sort of, you know, embroiled in um, trying to start new lives for themselves, was really trying to work out how I could start a new life for myself and I guess develop my own network away from my family but the HIV thing really put a, a, a dent in that and I remember just um there, there's work there's work based um counseling because I, I had to be often away to look after two of the um the men who were dying so they were at home and I, I, I do that and go to work so I I used some workplace counseling and he said Mark get out of Perth because it, you're just going to be reminded of this all the time so um I don't know whether that was Good or bad advice, but I, I, that's how I moved. I was offered a job in the eastern states, and so I, so I moved. And um, and in one way, it's really healthy because the new network they were very what I'd call tough old broads, and they were some of them were long term survivors of HIV. So it was a, a new world, really. Um, and um, I guess it was the beginning of my phase of you know being reasonably successful in work, but moving around a lot. Um, because even though I'd moved away from bad memories, there was a lot of um, things about relationship skills and, um, uh, you, you know, perhaps not being very emotionally available myself, which really affected me. So I was quite, I was quite dissociated, and um, I, I realised that I was hurting myself and other people. So it's very much that phrase, you know people who love me, I like them a lot. I wasn't able to relate to people who were quite close close to me. Um, and so, I, look, I, I kept moving. I've worked in every Australian city, you know, sometimes on a fly-in, fly-out basis. Um, and I would wake up and I, I wouldn't know where I was, um, you know, whether it was, you know, Perth, Sydney, Brisbane. Um, and, um, you know, life gets tougher. I, I think that the, the more you leave things unaddressed... At the same time, I became really aware I needed to do a career change and often you're attracted to things that you need to do for yourself. So I became very interested in the impact of stress on people psycho-emotionally, which is a a real laugh because that's really what was happening to me. Um, And um, so I I completed um, qualifications. It was quite a new area. So there's an amazing amount of um, innovation and I'm still... um, going through that and upgrading qualifications. Um, but lots of barriers for me because life wasn't really flowing um, and I probably wasn't doing the balance of things I needed to do. Um, and look, just the last, the, the big thing for me was very much a COVID story is my um, best friend from school contacted me because people are sitting on their bums in front of computers looking people up. And he sent me a photo of some um, paintings I did when I was at high school with him, so it's you know, decades ago. It's like they hang up at my daughter's house. I hope you're still painting and creating things. And I realised I'd taken a really big detour around myself because creativity was really important. I, I think if you don't use it, it corrodes you. 
So they were the, the next phases of my life. And I'm sure if I'd had a tarot reading when I left Perth, there would have been lots of darkness in that tarot reading. Um, but it's but hope as well. And uh, what was the significance of moving around constantly on your relationships with others and with yourself and mm. accountability for some of these feelings? Well, you, you do ask the therapeutic questions. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I'm here for. So, so look, um, I, you know, I think on one level um, I was just looking for somewhere and someone to invest myself in. Um, and, you know, it was a great escape clause to say, oh, I need to, you know, go away for for work so I probably really wasn't fully conscious of what I was actually doing there were lots of great opportunities it was probably the um the key income earning part of my life as well um what I realized is I was letting myself down and um even though it was a big overfunctioner I was letting other people down so I'd be overfunctioning I'd get burnt out and then um I would se- sever ties, really. Um, can, can I take you um, mm. right up to the point now, then jumping ahead probably a fair bit? Yeah. Um, when did you decide to look inward and get help for yourself sure. from the outside? Sure. So, you know, I was um, diligently researching the way of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm great at helping other people, but... Um, you know, getting them to talk about myself was like pulling teeth. <laughs> You've both, you both done a great job. <laughs> doing well, doing well. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, people used to say to me to go, you know, to go and see someone. It probably wasn't until I was in my mid-40s that I started to do that work. So you know, it's you know, almost the autumn of your life, but I'm a big believer in lifelong learning. I hope I'm a late bloomer. So, um, so that was the age I was actually at. And you said people were would say to you, "You need to see someone." Mm. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, I think that that started when um, I was going to a lot of funerals because of HIV. So people would say, "Mark, you do everything, but you never cry." You know, and I would I'd actually had dreams about being distraught, and then I'd think, "Oh, thank God, I'm actually crying," and I wake up and it would stop. Mm. <laughs> so, so it was kind of an overfunctioning story. Is you wow. don't you don't um, do that emotional circuit breaker or or, mm. or, or release. Um, and um, I, I didn't find it very useful talking to um, a therapist. And I was kind of a big believer in people being able to help each other. And um, it was just that community prescription for mental health and, you know, talking to other people about things. I was very aware for myself I needed to get out of my ivory tower. That's why talking to a therapist wasn't great for me because it would become not very grounded. That, that's what was my that, feeling was. Did that come from your HIV, helping with the HIV um, suffering? Um, it looked really Partly. good. Yeah, re- really good. At, I think that left me with a lot of grief, mm. yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that the moving around was perhaps survivor mm-hmm. guilt, uh-huh. to, to, to be quite honest. Um, so gradually I started to think there must be a, a better way to actually be helpful but at the same time share what's what's going what's going wrong. And I and I it's from the wrong and right side of the track things from Perth is even though you know I've been to uni and, you know, upper middle class family, I was a real believer in people who might have been their story who might have actually not have had yep. a similar background. So that was actually really important for me. And it was really the um these programs that gave me that opportunity to 
to share those stories with other people and to learn to listen. And in fact, coming to the groups gave me the relationship skills I was lacking because there's all, the, all of the traditions and things that go with the group. Yep. And, um, and that started to reintegrate me. So take me to that first uh, group meeting. Why mm. did you go there and how was it for you when you got there? It, it's, quite, it's quite a hilarious story because a, a partner I was very unhappy with took me. <laughs> to, to mm. the, and he'd been to many 12-step programs. Um, and um, I, th- I think that he thought that um, because I was always a bit of a, a, a smart aleck, he thought it might actually ground me. Um, and so that, that's how I ended up there. And at the first meeting, I thought, well, what I'm going to do, I'm going to finish the steps and I'll get out of here. That'll be it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll all be done. I've got very high application. I didn't realise how much I had to unpack. So, in fact, I did do the 12 steps in record time. So I've got a fellow traveller and I said to my partner, I've finished. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we did it in about two and a half months. I've completed it. And he was, he was um, really annoyed with me, which was part of my plan, I think. <laughs> it was a terrible relationship. Subconsciously. Um, but there's a lot more work to do. Um, and so, and uh, it took me, because I'd had to be an adult from when I was really little, it took me a long time to say, Hello, Mark, I'm a recovering adult child because I'd, I'd always been, hello, Mark, I'm a mini adult from when I was three. So, mm. um, so it, it took a long time to admit that. Um, and so the, the concepts of the inner parent and the inner child I felt really hard to grapple with because I grew up in Perth counterculture and all of the, um, the cults. So very hard for me to join in with that kind of stuff. Mm. Mm. Um, but in terms of the, you know, in terms of my psyche, it makes perfect sense of my way with being gentle and, and nurturing myself as I've always talked to myself but it's a um, it's a, quite a nurturing internal dialogue now um, yeah. could, could you tell us about what light the ACA groups has and the literature around all that has cast on your experience as a child or is how that family operated yeah yeah look they they have all of the lists of traits you develop as an adult child and it didn't really make sense to me it took actually years for me to actually translate um, the dysfunction and what had happened to me in terms of the traits. So, you know, um, I always had a rule to sort of break up with people first, so the fear of abandonment didn't yes. make sense to mm. me. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, I, I didn't think I confused love with pity. <laughs> I didn't think that I didn't nurture myself. I, I didn't, you know, I knew I procrastinated. So... Um, Look, look to me. There's absolutely a spiritual element which makes sense. I'm, I'm a, a, a you know lapsed Catholic, believe it or not, in spite of the cults. Um, <laughs> so, um, see that, that religious impulse and that spiritual element really made sense to me. So I don't call it God because I'm allergic to that concept. So that's great. But the rest of the program to me, you know, you're not you're not meant to go outside the program. Is really to me like cognitive behavioural therapy. So I'm looking at what's happened and I'm giving some of those things new meaning. And you said uh, you completed the steps in record time. Um, why did you think that was? Do you think you just embraced it completely? I've I've got quite high application, but I wanted to get rid of the fact that I had this problem. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was my way of doing. Be it. Be gone by, with it. But by you know <laughs> that that's going to be it. Um, so again, a, a great question, and um, I've. I do fellow travelling, so I've travelled with other people and I got through it in record time, but the traveller I have now um, is in Serbia and um, because it's in a war-torn country, it's taken 
it took about 18 meetings for his step five. So, and that's doing the program properly because, um, you know, what was around him, there were so many wrongs he needed to talk about. Um, and you can actually see the gentleness and the healing come, come through that. So I did it in, um, in record time, but, you know, when you're actually doing the program and really thinking about what happened and being very honest with yourself, it's quite a... Um, an intensive process and it was a real thing for me to actually to be very relaxed and calm this is what it's going to take for him mm. and in a lo and behold um you know it was helpful for him but it really helped me to um to peel the next layer of the onion so to speak mm. yeah. yeah and did anything surprise you about the person that you became after completing the 12 steps um because I've always been a survivor, I think that the thing that surprised me the most is actually not having fear when things actually don't go well in life. Like I've had a few setbacks and career change things to do and, you know, um, I've, I've always, um, you know, been a bit of a scapegoat. So dealing with that much better. Mm. And you know what, admitting that... Um, I'm a flawed human being. I don't have control over what's happened to me has been incredibly liberating. So that's something that I really wrestled with, you know. We're, we're trained, I think, to be, you know, our best possible version of ourselves and to have goals and to um, overmanage our lives. Mm. But letting go and thinking, look, you know, for the, you know uh, I'll be okay with the grace of God um, was really important. It's not learned helplessness. Like, doing the steps is doing something. But knowing that um, I'm powerless over some of the impact of some of the things that happened, how they're playing out in me, was really liberating. You wouldn't think it would be because you think, oh my God, I'm you know I'm lying down and dying. But that's actually incredibly liberating. So that's the thing that surprised me the most, Mitch. Yeah. yeah. And that's why we call the show Living Free. Because <laughs> right. it's, it's, it's freedom from thinking that you've got all that to do. You've actually got not much to do <laughs> so, <laughs> on any so given day. It's all, all making sense to me now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned the, the traits of adult children of alcoholics, and I've just happened to have them in front of me, and there's apparently 14, so that's not too much to manage. Um, I'm, I'm just going to throw some at you, and you can tell me whether they, they're yours or mm. not. Um, Isolated and afraid of people? Not anymore because the programs actually meant that I actually mixed with far more people than I ever have in my life before. Yep. Um, and rather than to judge people, that's made me curious. So instead of thinking, oh, they're a little bit on the rough side, I'm actually really curious about the person. Yeah. So that's actually a real shift and it's made me far less isolated. When you're older, if you don't address these things, you become very isolated because yes. you start yep. to close down. And I feel like curiosity is such a valuable trait to oh, have the older yeah. you get as well. You know? it's, it's, it should be in everyone's toolkit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know when I'm well, I'm curious. When I'm not well, yeah. I'm, I'm judgmental. You mm-hmm. haven't got the energy for the curiosity because you're, you're worried about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what about uh, seeking approval and losing your identity thereby? Uh, yeah, look, I... I in my work, I always um, were given uh, two hard basket jobs to do, and I would push them through. I had a crash or crash, I had a crash or crash mentality, um, and um, you know I often wasn't thanked for getting that through. But that was definitely about uh, proving myself. Um, yeah, yeah. So it played out in work a lot. Yeah. Yep. 
Yep. All right. Thank you very much, Mark. We're going to go to another one of your favourite songs. Great. Hopefully this is the right one, but it is a CD that you brought in, so it will be one of them. Will be <laughs> Absolutely. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong with this one. Uh, it's Love Will Tear Us Apart, and it is by a Joy Division. listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. 
3CR's annual Radiothon fundraiser launches in June. We need your financial support to be independent, community-controlled and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon keeps the station radical and enables us to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference and all donations over $2 are tax deductible. 3CR Radiothon, show your support during June 2023. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope... Only on 3CR, 855am digital and 3cr.org.au. This is The Living Free Show on 3CR digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming and we are talking with Mark about recovery from the effects of growing up in a dysfunctional family. But before we start, Mitch would just like to tell you about a gambling forum that's coming up. Yeah, that's right. So on Thursday, June 8th from 7 to 9 p.m. at the MacKillop College in Werribee uh, in the auditorium, there will be a free conversation on the real-life harm of gambling featuring key speakers such as Tim Costello, Bree Hughes, Kate Sagella, Bernadette Thomas, and Anna Bardsley, so you can book a free ticket online. There will be a Q&A from the audience at the end of that. So Google that one and you'll be able to book your ticket online. Thank you very much, Mitch. Um, so, Mark, welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> Not that you've been uh, anywhere. After um, our uplifting track. Yes. I yeah. should have had something more evangelical, I think. I think that was uplifting. <laughs> there was plenty of evangelical. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll t- tear you apart. Yeah. Um, so, Mark, where are you now in your life? So look, at, at a, um, I, I can't say my life is magically wonderful, but at a, at a sort of a, a absolute place of hope and um, and and understanding, um, and I've actually learnt to value the journey I've been on. You know, particularly now that I actually remember the journey, um, and look, I've, I've let some of the elaborate, um, you know. Um, fictions or fantasies go about the family. Um, what were some of those, if you don't mind me asking? Well, you know, we, we were, you know, we were reputed to be, you know, you know, um, you know intelligent and well thought out, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the reality was 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 very different, um, and you know, all, all of um, siblings would have. Pretty different stories to tell. Yep. Some of them have published those, um, <laughs> but um, you know, definitely not my um, my particular story. Um, and so, look, I guess that leads me to point. I'm sort of at peace with myself and how I am in terms of um, my personality and my makeup. Um, quite different from other members of the family, I think. Um, so, you look at a 
I'm in a position of, of a lot of hype, heaps of challenges, um, but I, I really feel equipped to to deal with those challenges. Um, and look, I'm, you know, I think to get through what I have, I would have had to have been a fairly optimistic person. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at a, at, a, at a position of hype, and also. Um, I'm going on a bit here. Also in a position where I feel I can contribute. Yes. You know, with with discernment and, and you know, distinguishing, you know, where I need to help. Yeah. But I feel as I really can contribute. Yeah. And you're in a position of hope now, which is great, um, but I don't think anyone's the finished article. So how do you develop that from day to day? Yeah, look, I think that um, for me, that there were a few events that pointed me in the way that I really needed to um, reignite some of my creative talents. I've... I've done some retraining in an area I'd, I'd always wished I'd had the opportunity to be involved in, so I'm just scaling up that qualification as a uh, as a kinesiologist. Um, I've, I've set myself up so I can do more creative practice. And look, I think that doing the things that you're meant to be doing does give you um, some joy in life. Mm. Again, I spoke about taking a detour around myself and doing the things that put you in touch with yourself really helps to strengthen, um, you know, how you express yourself to others mm. um, and and through life. So, And um, I, I discussed with you before the show and throughout the show today about what you're doing to get in touch with yourself and your art and that creative process. Mm-hmm. And uh, can you talk to me about that? Yeah, so, um, you know, the... A few things happened and people said to me, look, I hope you're still painting and creating things. And I thought, well, I'm not. (laughs) Um, And I'd kind of set things up um, so that I could, I had the space to to do those things. So, look, it really is that thing of of self-nurturing and and creating the space in life to be able to do those things. So you you need to make hard decisions. And, you know, part of that is actually having less money (laughs) Um, Mm. because that, because that's a part of it. Um, and actually also knowing it's going to totally work because it's something you can do for years and years and years. And I'm no spring chicken, so that's been important. It does dovetail with my kinesiology practice. And so, you know, I said that I do things that I really need to do myself, but I've, I've been specialising in the reasons why people might have creative blocks um, and, and those particular areas. So... You know, I, I, I guess you'll never get out of me that thing of over-functioning for other people. <laughs> I'm mm. still still doing that. Um, but I think that the, those two strands sort of interweave mm. a yep. bit better now. Would you describe the time that you had off from creating uh, as a creative block of sorts or you were intentionally choosing not to...? Uh, absolutely. It was a creative block. Um, and as I said, by not doing it, it was really quite internally corrosive because it meant that I was... All of my energy was on things that um, weren't serving me well. Mm. Um, so, you know, and there's a lot of relearning that happens. So, you know, when you ask about the position I'm in now, there's, you know, it's, it's not instantly um, fantastic. Mm. Um, but look, I think that it's an inter- interesting question. So I think that all the different strands of myself are sort of. Um, uh, sort of being weaved into a new pattern, really. Yep. Um, so I haven't, you know, there's not suddenly a new me, um, but I, I think that it's, it, it's it, I'm coming out of. That would almost 
be a little bit confronting if you just hatched into a new version of yourself. Yeah, be no, like a bit unfamiliar. We're all, we're all taught we can do it. Yeah. No, I think I, I love that idea of detouring around yourself and what you're describing now is, is uh, getting back on the track through and living through yourself yeah. and you're facing the, the, uh, the responsibilities of that um, yes. and the joys of that and yes. the fact that that might make you poorer. Or, yeah. <laughs> But ha- probably freer and happier. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And it's, a, it's an interesting thing as, you know, often the um, really valuable existence might look less significant from the outside. Yes. But it's, um, you know, totally significant to the sense of self. And I think that it's all of our sort of big task in life yep. to, to achieve that. Yeah. And how do you uh, practice self-care or even spiritual connection on a daily basis? Yeah, look, I'm... <laughs> Um, with with difficulty, so you know, what, one thing that I actually do in the meetings I host is to, um, you know, I use a bit of my kinesiology work in the guided meditation we have at the end, which is some acupressure formatting just to reintegrate the neurology. Um, and I've yet to do that um, regularly for myself, but that's one example. It's become that's becoming more that's alive. There's yeah. a pattern there, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But that, but but I'm enlivening that. So at the very least, I'm doing it with my um, fellow travellers in the meetings. Sure. Um, you know, I, and I, I sort of do all of those things, like, you know, take time out um, to go into the landscape because that's when I was little, that's what always fed me. So really important to have that continuity. And all of those things that... Um, uh, you know, we know we're meant to do in terms of the exercise and, oh, you know, food. the nutrition. <laughs> and look, stuff. I, from my kinesiology work, I know how important all of those health factors are for, you know, neurochemicals mm-hmm. and, um, and being well. So, look, I guess they're all the things that if you had a good grandmother or mother, they'd tell you to do. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you're hearing it free on this station yeah, yeah. <laughs> to make sure you eat well, sleep well, yeah. have that sense of balance and to, um, yeah, don't, don't, take that detour around yourself yeah. it can take a while to unpack that yeah yeah totally. how does uh meditation help you connect with yourself is that always an accessible thing I, for you I, yeah look i think i'm at my early um stage so it hasn't been a gateway into a new consciousness yet but that could happen I, I think that people are becoming very interested in that and the potential that's inside us to heal we start turning the energy into a into a stronger positive way to healing that's really important so the the, medi- the meditations we do in the group are um you know guided meditation and we use the acupoints that actually integrate the brain take some of the um energy away from anxiety and fear centers um and, and what we say we're doing is we're creating a space for the inner parent uh-huh. to talk to us because you're yeah. you're activating some of the frontal cortex and uh-huh. and some of those resources yeah. um but also the meditations sometimes they're body scanning as well as the acupoints um and inner children love that sort of thing because children love it, it, um you know experiencing things through their bodies yeah. so it's kind of a you know that's what we talk about because they're yeah. important concepts in the program and just uh yeah i guess touching on your feelings of difficulty of letting go and letting go of accountability over your own life i feel like meditation and guided meditation gives you that opportunity a- absolutely so really important and the the program really emphasizes it um and um people do get there it, take, it takes a little while to start doing that I actually think because we might not know our potential or trust ourselves enough. Mm-hmm. And yes. so as that improves, um, mm. that practice becomes more regular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I think that detour around yourself uh, is. A, I'm, I'm so interested in that idea. Uh, it's, it shows a lack of trust, doesn't it? So yeah. uh, it takes a bit of faith and trust yeah. to know that it's okay to go right through yourself. Absolutely, yeah. and and there's a bit of a mantra in the program that says, um, "Talk, feel, talk, and trust." Yes. And in our families, we were taught to do none of those things, yes. or to keep our cards close to our chests, or to use some emotional blackmail. Yeah. But in the program, it's very much about feeling. And the beginning of a meditation, you start to become conscious of what you're feeling Um, and talking is what happens in the meeting Mm -hmm. Um, and also trusting Mm -hmm. um, other people is really important and that's what happens with the the relationship you say with your fellow traveler absolutely look um i I haven't seen in the book but the program's taught me actually great relationship skills i'm not having relationships with the people in the group but it's actually because of the traditions and the um you know the ground rules yeah it's actually taught me about listening and yeah. feeling and talking about how I'm feeling and trusting that that's an okay thing to do. Yeah. Um, so very, very simple things but really important. If you could give yourself um, a younger version of yourself, <laughs> yourself some advice or perhaps someone in that place who would be struggling with some of the same things, what would you say? <sighs> Another therapeutic question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that I'd say it's everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, not a very profound thing to say. And often when you're in a crisis and someone says that to you, you think, no, it's not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, um, you know, things are. And if you use what's available to you in terms of internal resources, everything is going to be okay. Yeah. I read a story once about a woman dying on her deathbed and someone uh, asked, what have you got to teach us? What? And she said that everything in life is always fine. Yeah. It's always yeah, which fine. Which is a, a powerful thing to hear from someone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Uh, can you talk a little bit more? You touched on it with your kinesiology mm. um, about that idea that trauma is kept in your body uh, ab- forever. A- absolutely. So kinesiology in a nutshell is the study of stress. Um, and so when you're experiencing childhood trauma and, and, dis- and dysfunction, a lot of adaptive things happen in the body to enable you to survive. So you'll learn to be hypervigilant, to look at the environment and scan when things are not going to be okay. Um, you'll learn to um, you know, self-soothe, and that can actually lead to addiction. Mm. Um, those mm-hmm. sorts of issues. Um, and so a whole lot of, with stress and trauma, a whole lot of um, adaptive things happen to survive, but in the long term, they can be maladaptive. Um, and so um, you, you need to actually look at what's happened. A lot of templates get set down in childhood. We survive them, we grow up with them, and we act them out. Um, so, um, so, so that's what happens. There's almost these templates that are set down very deep, Adaptive to begin with, they can help children survive atrocious situations, but um, later in life they're not useful templates to mm. have in mm-hmm. terms of relationships, friendships, mm. talking, trusting, feeling. Yep. yep. Okay, uh, that is all about what we've got time for today. Uh, thank you so much for coming in. It's That's been a, a very interesting conversation. <laughs> and that, thank you for the questions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So if you relate to the stories and experiences you heard today and would like to find out more about ACA, you can visit their website at adultchildren.org.au. Um, where in Melbourne are some face-to-face meetings held, Mark? So yes, there's, um, there's a really great one um, at, at Thornbury at uh-huh. the 
span um, oh, yes. building. Um, and that's on Saturdays. I have a, a Zoom one on, on Mondays um, at 7pm. Mm-hmm. So people can zoom into that. That's available on the website, those details. Sure. Um, uh, there's one in Geelong, an in-person meeting in Geelong mm-hmm. um, that's going. A few of the meetings actually um, after COVID didn't reintegrate because mm-hmm. it was such a it was a, you know two year span. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're re-emerging. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, so if you're in Thornbury or Geelong or can get to those places, you can go to an Absolutely. in-person meeting, and the information's on the website, yeah. adultchildren.org.au. Um, and if you want a Zoom meeting, they'll be on there the too. Zoom meetings, yeah. Okay. So coming up next, we have Balanoir, The Spirit of Wa, hosted by Uncle Taljum Choco Edwards. Join Uncle Choco on a journey of belonging and movement through sing-alongs and yarns. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. Um, to take us out while we're waiting for Uncle Choco, um, I will play another song. So just... Uh, I think we will play One Blood by Yothu Yindi. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.